podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Welcome back to the pod. Welcome, boss man. Here we are. Hey. Just a few short days away from your European getaway. Can't wait, man. Cannot wait. Isn't it kind of weird to have to get away from a place in the summertime? That's sort of the opposite of the way most people operate, you know? Yeah. Well, Texas is hot. I mean, I've grown to appreciate it. I've grown to live with it. But yeah, the beach will be nice. Of course, this is the podcast where we talk about that very thing, building a business that gives you location flexibility, financial freedom, and freedom to spend your time the way that you choose. I'm still kind of stunned by that idea. So far, there's like nothing quite that can compete with that revelation that, hey, it's possible that you don't have to have one of these things called a job for the rest of your life. And now it's even evolving. Like you look over at dynamitejobs.co, we got 11 new jobs this week. I'm sort of sorting through them. Man, if that sort of stuff existed 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have started a business. I might have just gotten one of those jobs because now these sorts of companies that are building this freedom are distributing it out to their team as well. It's pretty sweet. I saw a presentation at an event last week here in in Barcelona, the DCX Barcelona. There was 37 entrepreneurs there. And one of the presentations was literally, look, I've got 100 plus employees. We are all location independent. It's a core value of the company and a strategic advantage. And the message was essentially lean into this. It's great for your company. Can you imagine hearing that kind of thing 15 years ago? No, (laughs) not at all. Just fantastic. So, all right. Today, I want to talk about one of the philosophical concepts that we've been talking about increasingly on the show. You know, Ian, how sometimes like you can say things in a joke that are truer than if you sort of had to be earnest? Yeah, totally. It's like a, a social coping mechanism. I could say this harshly to you, or I could kind of joke about it, and we could wonder if I'm telling the truth. <laughs> Probably are. Today, we are going to joke and talk a little bit about something that has the truth hidden in it somewhere, and it's called the Peter Principle. You understand the Peter Principle, or have you heard it before, where basically you can only reach whatever your potential is? I believe that. I think I had reached my, I had reached the max of what I could do. What got us to seven figures is not what's going to get us to to eight figures. We may need to acquire companies to do that. I do think there's opportunity out there for us to grow to that size, but whether or not one, I want to do it, and two, whether I'm capable of doing it or not, I don't know. So before we have a discussion and talk about why this is interesting or might be useful to entrepreneurs, let's just go over the Peter Principle itself and what are some of the implications of it. The Peter Principle was not first presented as something that was like really serious, Ian. It was almost like an expression of frustration around like why it is when you're in a corporation that everyone around you, particularly those in in management, decision makers, can seem to be 
like incompetent at their job and aggressive towards those who are competent at their jobs. I think we've all experienced this, right? Right. I know more than my boss. How is my boss still my boss? <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you could see why maybe the, the original author who was a professor was pushed and prodded by people to please write this down. You got to share this sort of idea with people. You could imagine why writing a true serious book about the Peter Principle would be a pretty like thankless process. You know what I mean? I'm going to go around and interview a bunch of people about how incompetent they are. Instead, the book was presented as this sort of tongue-in-cheek satire. And at the core of it was this idea that people get promoted to a level of their own incompetence. So the idea is that if you're really good at your job, your manager is going to look at you and say, well, hey, we should move this guy along. We should move this gal along. They're so great at what they're doing. And there's a moment, you know, Ian, as you move up through any hierarchy that you reach a point where it's tough to be productive anymore because you're not really sure what you should be doing there. And that's the sort of terminal position of the Peter Principle. You've reached that level of competence and now you settle in and you start to focus on keeping your job, managing your anxiety, making sure people don't threaten that position, you know, making simple things like purchase orders very difficult for people to comply with, you know, right. things like this. And this is sort of the thrust of uh, this idea. And, and the question for us as entrepreneurs is, as people who are interested in organizations and hierarchies is how does it apply to us? How does it apply to our business? And what can we learn from it? So Ian, the first thing I wanted to bring up is why do entrepreneurs talk about this a lot? Like why are we attracted to this idea? I think the reason why we talk about the Peter principle so much, Dan, is because everyone is essentially Peter. At some point in your organization, like you will become the person that has topped out. Meaning you might be in your organization, for example, the reason why the organization isn't growing. You've done all that you can do. You've kind of obtained all the knowledge that you can. You found yourself in a position where your company cannot grow anymore because you're in this organization, depending on where you might be in that org chart, whether you're at the top, whether you're you know doing sales, whatever it might be, you've reached your capacity and therefore your organization can no longer grow. I was talking with an entrepreneur the other day who had this very thought and she was saying, you know, I really fear that it's coming down to me that I'm not able due to experience or knowledge able to make the sorts of decisions that are going to move this company forward. Right. I got to say that in and of itself is a reason for optimism. Because having a sense that you might be part of the problem, I think is a really decent strategy for counteracting the Peter principle. And we're going to talk about those towards the end of the discussion here. But there's this idea in the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. And he says that to a certain size of a company, and I think the, the level was like 50 employees, the company itself tends to be really bad at what the founder is really good at. So if the founder is this great salesperson who can always just go out and land the big account, then often a company won't develop that skill set as part of its process or as part of its hierarchy. Right. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're saying, well, hey, there are things required in this organization that I can't give it, that could be a very positive turn. Right, Because now all of a sudden you have to figure out a way to 
systematically do it instead of pull yourself up from your bootstraps, hustle, hustle sort of thing. Yeah. The real question though becomes like, are you able to self-identify these problems and are you able to like get out of the way or help with them? A lot of people will be entrepreneurs owning these organizations, not have the realization that they are the ones that are getting in the way, right? So it's like, oh, the market isn't strong right now. This isn't a good product market fit. The customers don't like it. But a lot of times it's never you, right? It's like, well, I'm actually not that good at this or I'm not that good at that. I need to figure out how to hire somebody that can do XYZ. So fundamentally, I think it comes down to are you self-aware enough to understand your own limitations? And I think a lot of people are. That's why I think a lot of people don't necessarily reach so high, and that's okay, right? So you start these businesses. It's a half a million dollar business, really good lifestyle business. It will afford you and your family all kinds of opportunities. It's when you start to try and figure out how am I going to grow a $10 million business? How am I going to grow a $100 million business? Because those businesses aren't going to be built around the founder and the founder's core competencies. They're, they're going to be built around a huge knowledge base. They're going to be built around hundreds of people, depending on the size of the organization. And an enormous market opportunity, right? Or a really timely one. So that was you know, sort of the next point of the conversation is why has this thought managed to seep into our conversations more and more? Because one of the things that DHH said on this show is like, look, growing like a $3 million business is... I mean, he didn't say this outright, but his kind of point was like, that's relatively from a both like difficulty and your chances level. It's like within the realm of possibility for a lot of people. And that realm of possibility exponentially reduces as you scale up those numbers to 30 million, to 300 million, to 3 billion, right? And on the one hand, you could say, oh, well, like I'm not the type of entrepreneur that can get something past a million bucks. But on the other hand, you could say, well, there's just less opportunities to do so. It just simply happens less. And I think what's happening in the community is you get a lot of people that are getting to a a very interesting level, like you mentioned. And they are asking the question, like, what does the next level look like, if any? And they can start to look at themselves maybe a little obsessively and say, maybe I'm the one that's getting in the way of this instead of It's not entirely clear if you are the one, but it's a question worth asking. This week's episode is brought to you by Dynamite Jobs. Dynamitejobs.co is a service that helps talented professionals find jobs with entrepreneurial companies. And most importantly, these companies allow you to take your career and live and work from anywhere, whether that's overseas or in the comfort of your own home. Now for the entrepreneurs listening, we specialize in helping you find talented marketing, customer service, operations, and admin people to join your remote internet business. Now there's a lot of advantages to hiring remote staff, but it can be challenging. And at Dynamite Jobs, our role is to help make that easier on you, the entrepreneur. Our process means you're only going to have to post your job once, and we'll share it with our community of more than 10,000 remote workers. The best part is most companies end up hiring someone within 30 days. And if you can't find someone within 60, we'll refund your job posting for free. So if you're looking to hire remote team members, head over to dynamitejobs.co and enter TMBA on the checkout page to get 50% off your first posting. 
And if you're a talented professional looking for an exciting career that you can do from anywhere, go sign up for the email list where we send out jobs on a weekly basis. Go check it out. Give us your feedback, guys. We'd love to hear what you think about dynamitejobs.co. One of the primary objections that I hear, Dan, especially when you're trying to grow the company from, let's say, a million to $5 million is like, I'm not good at hiring people or I'm not good at managing people. I feel like this is like where people peter out sometimes the most is in their ability to do this. Is this where peter out came from? (laughs) (laughs) It might be. (laughs) People kind of peter out on that front, you know, where they truly believe that they do not have the skills required to uh, hire and manage people for their organization. And I think that that's why there's so many books around like hiring and managing people. But I guess I have a question for you is, you know, trying to get around this Peter principle, let's say when it comes to hiring and managing the right people for your organization, do you think it's just a matter of reading enough books? Or do you think the people that are the most successful have already managed? So it's kind of like they've lived that life somewhere before they've started this business and then they transition that skill set into their business. Don't let anybody tell you there's a right way to do this stuff, right? Because there's, I can think of businesses that are on both sides of the aisle. How many super profitable businesses that have you heard someone working for that business complaining endlessly about how horrible the management team is, about how horrible the CEO is at this or that or whatever, yet I'm sure the bank account's doing quite all right. In other words, like a lot of this stuff isn't critical to a business's success, depending on the market opportunity. So that's something to flesh out too, because you know you see like entrepreneurs beat themselves up all the time, like oh I'm not a good enough entrepreneur because I haven't grown my business big enough. Well, in some ways, it's giving yourself a little bit too much credit. Sometimes it's a matter of having the right opportunity, right? You know, if you're the only ice cream shop on the beach, you can have pretty poor management most of the time and still be successful. If you find yourself in a place where there is a lot of opportunity, you don't necessarily have to have the right management structure in place. That being said, you know you start a business where there might be a little bit less demand or it might be a little bit of a more uphill battle trying to fight to get into something that there's a lot of competition. It might matter more, right? Yeah. What kind of organization that you have? I'm all about this know-how thing. So you ask, like, can you read a bunch of books? Like, yeah. You can. You can learn on the fly. And that's what most of us are doing. Much better to learn on someone else's dime. You know, when this entrepreneur was sharing with me her struggles, I thought I really like related to like the rock and hard place she was in because I, my first thought, like the sorts of deals that she was entertaining, it's like, man, wouldn't it have been great if you would have had a past career in that? In the book we published a few months ago before the exit, I even mentioned an anecdote where an entrepreneur was facing this exact problem. And Seth Godin's advice to her was, you know, get someone to run your business for you and go work for like a next level business, that next revenue level, and sort of be in that business. And from an experiential point of view, start to understand what needs to happen at that level. That's a long ball game right there. But people have done this. I often wonder, you know, we sold our business at essentially the same level that this other business that we used to work for was at. I was the vice president of operations of this business that had the same revenue figure, essentially. And it's sort of like, that's sort of what we knew, right? That's where our level of experience was at. 100%. Yep. There's another issue, though, 
which is that I think a lot of us can be happier working slightly under our competence. I'm really resonating with this point actually lately. You know, I think one of the things that's like started to happen, especially in the United States, like from my perspective, is like this feeling of always being behind, you know, and it's because of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff. Yeah. I think that there's like a lot of joy in, for example, changing people's oil and having them appreciate you and like doing a good job and wiping down the windscreen and like having people go along their merry way, you know, in being the best at that. But, you know, changing oil, you don't make a lot of money doing it. That being said, you know, you start to get into things, and I'm going to metaphorically speak about a car shop, right? Then you start to get into things like changing transmissions and doing all these things that are much more advanced than changing oil. You start to get some headaches, right? You start to think like, okay, now we got to get a person that's specialized in transmissions. we got to get all these special tools. You get nostalgic for the oil days. Right. <laughs> and you think like, wow, wasn't my life, wasn't my business so much simpler when we were just changing oil at a fair price and people were happy? But there's always this idea of more, 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 I'm behind, I'm behind, more. And I think, you know, a lot of times you can find yourself in a situation where you aren't as happy and you can find yourself in a situation where you might be making more top line revenue, but your bottom line is shrinking. And so I don't think, and this is something that I've started to believe now for many years, Dan, I don't necessarily think bigger is better. I think that it might be okay to reach your Peter, whatever that point is. And like you said, back off a little bit and say like, you know what, this is my sweet spot. Because, you know, the other thing, Dan, is like business is great. It's enabled us to live a great life. It's enabled us to do this podcast and talk with each other. But the truth is like there's other facets to life too, right? You like to ride your bike. I just had a kid. You're so far ahead of me on that point. God, I can't bear it. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot be going 100% in your business and have any kind of other life outside of your business. I got to say, like, this is like one of the points that came up time and time again at the event last week. It came up in the research for the book, like, because everybody's talking about balance and mindfulness and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, in that first thousand days can be super stressful, super unbalanced. And that's often what it takes to get something started and moving. Let's talk about some of the ways we might circumvent this Peter principle, though. I mean, one of the things to keep in mind is like, this is a study of hierarchies. So identifying as an entrepreneur, you're taking a step in the right direction by saying, I'm going to try and design these things rather than be subjected to them. Okay. So I'm going to work on businesses more than I'm going to be in them. Okay. So that's a step in the right direction towards sorting through this Peter principle thing. And as you create the ways people exist in those hierarchies, keep in mind, how these things often go off the rails. So for example, a team member who is exceptional at following rules, you might be tempted to put them into a situation where they're creating rules. And this is where this goes awry all over. Like a trial lawyer who's excellent might get promoted to partner, right? A baker who creates delicious croissants might open a bakery. And now all of a sudden you have this thing where it's like, what got you here won't get you there. And by saying like, look, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to work on these hierarchies instead of continuing to exist within them. And a lot of that is asking yourself the honest question as an entrepreneur, what got you started in this whole thing? And one of the things from my own story personally is like, I always thought it was a blessing 
that I didn't have any profitable skill sets. There was no shingle that I could hang, right? I wasn't able just to go out and make a living. I always had to like build an organization and hire people to run it. So I was like sort of forced into this craft of enterprise from day one. A lot of people that are really good at stuff, basically they can become freelancers. They can make money. And oftentimes that can follow people through their whole career. And so one way to ask yourself is like, have you really taken seriously this craft of enterprise? Like, have you worked in teams? Are you good at building organizations? If an entrepreneur is like saying, I really don't like managing people, I really don't like having a team, I don't want any employees, you really got to ask yourself the question is like, are we really talking about entrepreneurship there? Unless what that person's excellent at is like sort of crafting these technological structures that can mimic what a human structure can do. Correct. Yeah. A lot of times you're right. Those people, they want to work on their craft, right? So they found themselves to be like unemployable because, you know, their personalities or because they just don't want to have a job anymore, but they have a skill set that allows them to kind of open their own operation. Quickly, they realize, hey, like, yeah, I'm the technical person. Maybe in this situation, I'm really good at that, but we got to have somebody that does sales. We got to have somebody that does marketing, whatever it might be. And I think in those situations, Dan, like, you almost just have to have a basic competency level. So, like, if what you want to do is continue to be the technical person in your organization, you don't have aspirations for having a $100 million company. I think it's very possible, right? Take some night classes, read some books, whatever it takes, right? You got to get some people in your organization helping you to be that technical person, like allowing you to continue to do what you do best. Now, if you have aspirations for being the technical person initially, then hiring a bunch of technical people, and then stepping up as CEO, and then maybe exiting the company, that's a completely different trajectory. Both have like different Peter principles, right? So like, in your job as a technical person, like you have a Peter level where if you get up to that point, it's like, up, oh, back down a little bit, company's going to stay at a half a million dollars a year. If you have dreams of building this large organization that does $100 million a year and it starts as you being the technical person, well, your Peter level is going to be much, much higher. Right. And so you're going to have to figure out, you know, how can you get that done? Are you capable of getting that done? What does it look like? I brainstormed some ways that I've seen people and experienced people circumventing these sorts of limitations. And and one of the things we were discussing is this idea of being in the right place at the right time, or I prefer to say being in a good place at a good time because it's not as stressful. (laughs) It's like the surface area is large. And look, opportunities aren't going anywhere. Your ability to take advantage of them is only going to increase as you continue to invest in your skill set of entrepreneurship. So a lot of people feel this pressure to like, I got to get to the next level. I got to do this. It's like, hey, this is a long, long game here. And sometimes that incremental process of just chop wood, carry water, do your work every day, that opportunity to get involved in like whatever cool technology or marketplace right now that you're worried about. Look, the next one's coming. Trust me. Been in the game long enough to know the next one's coming. And maybe you'll be better prepared to take advantage of something explosive if you focus on your craft in the short term. There's this idea that's posited in the new forward to the Peter Principle book called Creative Incompetence. This resonated with me. I'll quote from the author. Peter believed that doing things badly, intentionally, and publicly was the best way for an employee to avoid final placement. This sounds like me doing the dishes. (laughs) It's like leaving a little food on the plate. Not only will you get 
useful feedback on how to ensure that the dishes are squeaky clean, but you will not be immediately promoted to oversight of kitchen cleanliness, which should never be there. (laughs) Right. Some other things I thought of is, you know, I think masterminds, I really believe in masterminds, not, you know, having such a big ego that sometimes going back and having a job or a really big client engagement could be a way to push yourself harder than you would do with private study and whatever's available to you in the evenings on the internet, right? Like getting involved in a real public deadline where it counts for you to achieve, to push yourself. I call that eustress. Everybody, I mean, that's the definition of the term eustress, which is positive stress that you can opt into in your life. Getting partners, investors, I think these are all ways to see what you can't see right now. A lot of times in the early days of a business, a lot of it is that mind game. It's about what are my personal limitations right now? Like, what don't I have the ability to see for whatever reason? Like, sometimes people can't see things because they had a traumatic emotional experience. Something in their business reminds them of that, and they're incapable of seeing that that's a business opportunity to fix that, you know? That happens a lot. But when you get to the level of like these sort of next level things, it probably makes sense to think less about yourself and more about the market, the opportunities, and the structures that can take advantage of that value. So the sort of style of thinking changes a little bit as the scale goes up. And that's like a really hard thing to do is to say like, oh, there's this market opportunity. Oh, well, I don't have the skill set to fulfill that, but I can I identify that there is an opportunity there, right? So most people, they say like, okay, well, we're not going for that because I just can't do it personally. Right. But then some people, very few people say like, all right, you know what? I don't know how we're going to fix that problem, but there's a lot of money there. I'm going to assemble a team that I feel like can help me do that. I just wanted to close with like sort of one thought that's related to this idea of often we come back to this Peter principle because we're sort of looking at ourselves, our limitations. Why aren't we further along? You know, so-and-so is doing X, Y, and Z. And here's been my experience when I go to these conferences, I meet so many people that are successful or whatever. And a couple things, number one, pick your favorite like internet success story. I guarantee you open up and look behind the scenes of that. It's a shit show. So that's just to call that the shit show principle or whatever. And the other thing is that like, there's nothing more predictable than like meeting your goals and being miserable. Yep. And that's something that I'm seeing over and over and over again. And people are just putting out these big numbers and they sort of, change a big portion of their life to get to the number and then they get to the number. And you know what? It's just like the next thing to buy, Ian. It's like emotional consumerism. Like instead of having the confidence to ask yourself like what is valuable to you in life and what you want to do with your time and with your relationships, instead you say, you know what? I'm going to buy into this thing that I read on the internet says you're only a good entrepreneur if you do this or that this is an appropriate next level. And to me, that's the same thing as saying, if I can buy like a fancy car, I'm going to be happy. It's like, no, you can't just buy that stuff. The things that matter the most in life from that perspective, they cannot be bought, cannot buy respect, for example. You see this happening in the attention economy so often. And then you meet the people with X number of followers on X number of service, and you realize that there's a pathology, there's a reason why this person is so obsessed with getting people to see them or whatever, because maybe I don't have to explain this, right? 
I don't want to get too deep into the the woods on that stuff. The encouragement that I want to put out there is, and this is the hardest thing, is like as you get into more rarefied air, as you you know move out of traditional employment, you're living a life where the rules aren't so clear or whatever. It's all that more important to know what you value and what you want. And in that uncertainty, if you just reach for something off the shelf, like, oh, I'm going to be happy if I just do what I'm supposed to do or whatever, you probably pay the price and some disappointment in that down the line. Sure. That's a good bow tie for the episode, because who's Peter? Someone that's sort of mildly disappointed. I don't know if that's entirely true. I mean, I think that Peter could be mildly disappointed, but Peter could also be very happy because... Peter knows the limits of his or her's abilities, and they're very comfortable kind of sticking within those lines and being successful. All right. Well, I'm petered out, boss man. We'd love to hear what you think. Have you found ways to manage the Peter Principle? Does it ring true with you? Let us know. TropicalMBA.com slash Peter Principle. We thank you as always for listening. Check out our website, TropicalMBA.com. You can listen to every single episode we've ever done. I hesitate to bring it up, but people still come to me and say, I've done this. The other day, someone was saying, I was listening to episode number eight. <laughs> and this is like a recent listening, you know? <laughs> Gosh. So maybe, hey, maybe there's some value back in there, boss, man. I'll have to give it a listen. I don't even remember what we were saying, man. Available for free at tropicalmba.com. We appreciate you listening. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.